0: Hello, church. Before we begin, just like to read to you a message that was sent to all of us from Milton Williams. Many of you know that we we go into prisons and we do our best to help people. Milton Williams has been uh, contacted and become befriended by Tammy Williams, one of our members, for years. And he is a A good man we don't talk anything about what someone did in their youth we're talking about now he's a good man he is according to the prison system and the clemency board done everything right in his years in prison taken every possible improvement course done all the good stuff well the governor has signed the clemency decree but uh, the prison is not releasing him yet and hasn't and says that they're gonna take their time doing it but Milton loves you so much for your continuing love. He wrote this, I'm overwhelmed with all the love you and our Safe Harbor members have shown me and are continuing to show me. Thank you so very much. I thank God for all the joy all of you have brought in my life. Unspeakable joy. I feel like God has opened up a window in heaven and has poured out all these blessings on me. I worked and prayed 29 years for a second chance in society. God is answering that prayer and more. All I can do is keep praising his holy name and stay prayed up. Love you all, Milton Williams. I thought you'd want to hear that. It's a good way to start, isn't it? It is. I'm going to scoot up just a little bit closer um, because while I have to keep my notes far away from me, it's not quite that far. We're starting a new series today and for some it's going to be very challenging and I'm aware of that. But I want you to remember what we talked about last week that while, yes, we might be prying fingers off of precious relics, we're not leaving you to fall. We want you to hold on to Christ and not on to the other things that have, um, that have taken his place in religion. This series may or may not be long, but we'll see, that was fun. Uh, but it's necessary we have a book and we hallow this book but it is a book that has divided us and if anybody looks at this realistically we have to admit that that's what occurred when the Bible finally became and I was completely right about people not being able to have this but whenever the Bible became available for the common person at a price that middle-class and up, let's say, could get and then share with others, the number of denominations increased exponentially. It didn't bring people together, because they were reading it on their own, and they were coming up to their own individual interpretations and then pushing them. They weren't asking the very honest question that the Ethiopian eunuch asked, and that is, how can I understand this unless somebody explains it to me when I was a boy it was often said to me that if any honest person just read the Bible the will of God would be very plain that is demonstrably untrue because people who really search for God often get lost in here and they end up in different places there are over a thousand denominations whose sole purpose in beginning was to get back to the Bible So that should tell us something. How can so many be so divided while claiming to have as their only authority this book? When I was younger, we had our own catechism. And it was nothing official because we wouldn't do that. But I noticed a pattern. If I ask, why do the Baptists use instruments? I'd be told, well, they don't believe the Bible. I wouldn't say, well, then why does that church have women preachers Well, they don't believe the Bible? well, why does that church have a pope? They don't believe the Bible. It was an easy catechism, frankly. Whatever the question was, they don't believe the Bible, or the other questions the answer were Jesus. And you just had to figure out which one of the two, and you could work your way through it. And yet, the Bible never says that it's easy. It never says that it's just right there for you. Just read it and believe it. You ever notice that? Nowhere in here is anything like that. In fact, The Bible even says that something is the pillar and ground of truth. But it's the community. The church is the pillar and ground of truth. And Jesus says he's the truth. So are we confused yet? Oh, we haven't started. Hang on. You just heard it read. And you've you've known about Timothy for a long time, I'm sure. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Starting at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Now think about that. Paul defines his gospel with focus and with intention. It is Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. In other words, the fulfillment of the prophecies to the Hebrew, the fulfillment of the promises God has made to the nations. Jesus is the Christ, the fulfillment of the uh, the promises of God. Paul does this again and again and again. And it it amazes me how easy it is for us to not notice that he says, this is the gospel. Other times he'll say, I know nothing but. And he'll say this and not do all of the other stuff. In fact, he goes right into a hymn which was already being used at that time widely because Christians have always resorted to hymns to teach us doctrine because, again, people didn't have their own copies of the Bible for the longest. Hymns and creeds gave them ways to remember. Stained glass windows told them the stories they could remember. They would do plays to show, act out things so that people could see and remember a story because people just didn't have this, but... The hymn is, is beautiful. Uh, have a look, verses 11 through 13. Here's a trustworthy saying. Now the hymn starts. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. In other words, he can't even mistreat us when we mistreat him. God is love to the point where He will not leave us behind. This is the great, great news. And know what's in there and what is not in there. He emphasizes living with Christ and enduring. It'll it'll be difficult with him. Nothing in these verses has anything to do with worship styles, organizational principles, or a whole list of do's and do not. And while, in fact, there are quite a few do and do not passages in Scripture, Jesus and the apostles, including Paul, are by far focused on the be statements, not the do or the don't statements. Succinctly, have a look at this. While I agree with Alexander Campbell that I could say the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed and agree with everything in it, There is a change by that time, just a few hundred years after Jesus. Look at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is all about be and do good, be and love. That was a summation of Jesus' message to us and he proves it in Matthew 25 as using that being and doing because we're being, because we believe As the the only criteria for entrance into heaven. Contrast that to the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed. Neither of which I think are bad. But there's not a word of be in there. Not a word of do. It is all believe. So we went from being to stating what we believe. And somehow through the years we have gotten it in our head that it is more important to God what we believe about Him than how we live for Him. And that, my friends, is a tragic error. Because a lot of people who believe the right things live lives harming others, often in His name. In this passage, did you notice uh, when it was being read to you earlier, there, <laughs> he, he tells Timothy, Stop quarreling and tell people to stop arguing twice. Now this is a man, 2 Timothy, who is facing, literally, being beheaded very shortly. He knows that and he says, I am, I'm ready to be poured out. Nero's going to have him killed. If he, in one short passage, tells his son in the faith, stop people, do not let people quarrel. Tell them to not quarrel. That's pretty important. You've, you've used up space and time. I think we should pay attention to it as well. And when he speaks of the, of the scripture, did you notice what he said and what he didn't? So important. He, he didn't tell Timothy, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That sounds really faithful, bold, but Paul didn't say that. Instead, he said, you handle this thing correctly. And you divide it. In other words, parts of it you're going to use different than other parts. There are going to be levels of usefulness here. And when he refers to the scriptures, let me just give you a little couple things nobody seems to talk about. That's not actually true. A lot of people talk about it. But in the circles in which I travel, not very many people talk about it. How's that? One while Paul had written a couple of things, when he refers to scriptures, he's meaning the Old Testament because those were the scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, those had not been written. So when he says scriptures, he's referring back to then. And here's the other big one. Have a look at that again uh, and you will see that there was a, a word all scripture is in, is given by inspiration of God. Except that there are no manuscripts where the word is, is there. Not in that place. Not until later. And then other times it's in a different place. So it, your manuscripts, the oldest ones read, all scripture inspired by God is profitable. That makes a whole lot of sense actually, because there are a whole lot of people writing things they called Scripture. So Paul was saying, you be very careful which one you select and how you do it. Others, by the way, later manuscripts would put the is in because Greek grammar, sometimes you don't use it, sometimes you do, would say, all scripture inspired by God is profitable. They put the is after. Either way, that kind of changes what we're looking at. Why would Timothy be admonished to keep it simple, simple, simple? Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the promises. And yet told instead to correctly handle or divide the word of truth. Well, let's take a little side trip here to remind us that Jesus said, He was the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. I believe that with all my heart. Because Jesus said it, and He lived it, and it fits the promises. John agrees with that very powerful um, statement of Christ in his beautiful opening chapter where he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God, and Jesus is the Word of God. Now, you can go a long time in your life and never hear that, but people will instead say the Bible is. Well, There's a fairness there. The Bible sometimes does refer to itself as the Word of God. So, are you confused yet? Oh, good. Because I think you should be. Paul says the Word of truth. It's a truth that Timothy is going to have to get out of here with wisdom and, frankly, with help. I. I don't know Hebrew, I used to know a lot more Hebrew than I do now because my dad learned it and taught it and decided that we had to learn it too. So there are still some words and phrases and I can still pick up some ideas, but Greek and I aren't aren't friends. We're never going to be friends. We've had interventions, there's been a magistrate, it's not going to happen. So I have to go talk to people who are experts in Greek and not just Greek. But this particular Koine Greek and this particular slot in this particular time written from a particular place. You know, when you realize that, it can be very disappointing to people who decide to deeply study the Bible because they can get confused. There are people who have made entire careers because they found one verse and thought this is the key verse. And that's what they write about the rest of their life. There, there are people that will say, we found a prayer in the Bible that if you say that prayer, then everything is a blessing. Do you remember that? It was a big deal. And others will say, we, re- we read a bit of Daniel. Guess what? Jesus is coming Tuesday. Really? Maybe we learned, need to learn how to handle this correctly because the Bible is a collection of books written by many different people over a period between 1,400 and 1,600 years, editors used a large variety of documents and books as source material. We're going to talk a lot about that in the next few weeks, so hang in here. Uh, uh, if you've not been made uncomfortable by the end of this lesson, that's, that's fantastic, but expect it to come because I've had to go through it, and it, it is uncomfortable. But it leaves you with teases. Keep remembering, it leaves you with teases. Here we go. There are over a dozen books in the Bible that are mentioned that we do not have. And they use them as source material. They'll say, has not all this been written in the book of Jasher? Has all this not been written in the annals of the kings of Judah? And they name the books. We even know that there is a much larger book of Proverbs that we do not have. Because that's mentioned. And sometimes people will say Solomon wrote Proverbs. We're not really sure who wrote it. But tradition says Solomon, but even that doesn't say he wrote it because in the book it says he gathered them. Not that he wrote them, he gathered them. And that's why some of the Proverbs contradict each other. They do. Sometimes it'll say, you know, being rich is great, and the other times it's saying rich is no, no. The other time it'll say to marry, the other time it'll say it's better to live lonely on a roof than to live, you know, this, you know it, it, it goes back and forth on there because Proverbs apply to different situations. Uh, And again, learn how to rightly divide it. Oh, but there's more. Because the Jewish people, and they're very open about this, and you can follow it historically and linguistically, after their books were written, edited their books. Because you do. They did not believe that they were sinning, and they weren't sinning. They were developing and learning as they go. Rather, like bringing uh, the story of uh, Philip and the Queen's treasurer into modern-day parlance with Escalades and such, sometimes you have to go in and change things. For example, uh, 150 years ago, if I told somebody that a friend, friend was injured because somebody ran a red light, what in the world would they know about that at all? So I took out my phone and took a picture of it then i uploaded it to the cloud do you see what i'm talking about things become in fact my my grandsons love home alone because what kid doesn't because a kid gets to do it to the adults and it's hilarious but they have questions how is this possible and i'll tell them it 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 really wasn't then but it's completely impossible now because we have cell phones we have the internet we have And they're going, well, why didn't they use their cell phones? I'm going, well, you know, we never thought about it, actually. We didn't have them. And their jaws drop. How could you communicate? Smoke signals, semaphores, flags. Sometimes you didn't. Yeah, Morse code, yeah. I can remember kissing my sweet wife goodbye and driving several states away to speak for a week. And we would only talk once or twice because phones The calls cost too much. And so, what's Patrick? Where is he? What? It's all a fog. Please be aware. They would go back and have a look. And say, this passage needs to be sorted out. And so, some places have two and three and four editors. That's fine. This is God's developing story for us. But you always have to think of the context of the writer. The context of the hearers. And the context that the editors bring. No wonder Paul said. You're going to have to learn how to handle this correctly. And rightly divide it. And because of that. Honest good people. Who want to serve God with all of their heart. Can start with Genesis. Go all the way through to the book of maps. Or I don't even have that. Just Revelation. And they can believe. That um. We can have a great conviction that heaven is out there, and one day we're going to go out there. And good, honest people who have nothing but wanting to serve God in their heart can read the same book, Genesis through Revelation, and be absolutely convinced that the redeemed earth will be heaven. Or others can start here, go to there, and be absolutely convinced within their heart that God is going to condemn 99.9% of all people who are ever born on earth to a hell that is horrific, torture that never ends for many trillions of years. Others will read it and say, no, he's going to save everybody, eventually. Others, honest again, will read through the whole thing and say, he's going to save some and annihilate others. Because it wasn't written in a way that could avoid these questions. It could have had, here is the book of final things. You might think, he gave us revelation. Seriously? Um, So, which one of the 5,000 interpretations of each verse of revelation are you going to go with? No, that's not the way this works. Do you know that God gave a name to his people? Israel. I'm going to ask the team here. Um, Anybody know what that name means? The, the ones who wrestle with God. You know, sometimes, and I like songs, I really, and I understand poetic license, and sometimes it sounds like we're just skipping through the forest holding hands with God. Okay, not a bad picture. You know, Garden of Eden, they did walk in a garden together. Gotcha. But most of us have to learn about God by the river Jabbok. We have to learn about him through wrestling. And that's on purpose. You can be in all sorts of things reading this book. You can be disappointed with the book as well. You can be disappointed that God didn't just write a rules manual. Here are the laws about sex, the law about worship, the, law, um, the facts of and in order of everything that's going to happen on judgment day. I always just laugh when people say they like it in order because I'll say there's no, no such thing as order. When physics is gone, there's not a this, then that. And then they, they always remember an appointment for some reason and leave. But there's not a book on, this is the book of church organization. Here's the music you're allowed to sing or play or whatever. Do you know early Christians wrestled with this to the point where they produced one that did all this? The Didache. It's, you'll hear it's pronounced several different ways. A Greek guy, uh, uh, professor told me Didache. It's D-I-D-A-C-H-E. You can get it online. It was a rule book for churches. Why would they have to write that? Because this isn't it. And they felt, well, we need more do and don't do. Instead of Christ saying, love God, love your neighbor, be that. So we need more organizations. And many of us, I've said it, some of you have as well, have said when we've run across some of these things have been challenged, going, we're going to lose our identity. You know, there are some identities it's good to lose. It's painful. But what, what if we went back to some of our old songs, Take the World and Give Me Jesus? Remember that one? Or What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. In other words, I mean, we had a whole long list of things that will help the washing. But that song says, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. Just as I am, the mournful tune is a little hard for modern ears but even that i actually like the tune in many churches it was ruined because it was used as an invitation song and they'd sing it again and again until somebody came forward to confess that they wanted to kill the preacher and you know then they would shut the thing down but the lyrics of just as i am are some of the beautiful most beautiful lyrics in the english language they're just wonderful i don't want to lose that song all of these songs seem to capture what we missed in our doctrine, it has always been said that we sing a much better theology than we preach. Think, let that sink in. Give that a try. Look at some of your songs. Early Christians, they tried, but that book didn't even make it in the Bible. There is evidence that they tried to get it there, but it, I, I don't think it ever really got close. What are the rules? I remember we'd not been back in the States that long when we're eating in our at our kitchen table, and one of my kids asked, can we sop up the gravy with our biscuits to eat it? Well, in most places, that, no question like that would be asked. But we lived with Miss Cammie, and Miss Cammie has standards. My first reaction was, if you don't, so waste of biscuit and gravy. So I said, yes. And she was going, I don't think that's actually you know, good manners. And I said, and it was all, this is all done in fun because we actually like each other a lot. I said, you know, when it comes to biscuits, gravy, and southern things, I think we need to go to a source. I want to call your mother's dad. Now, trump that. We were vaulting right over mama. So I called her dad in Texas, and he said, it, it's fine to sop it up with your bread. Now, that could have been because it is fine. It could have been because they do it in Texas. Or it could have been he's trying to get on the good side of the grands. I'm either one of those. The point is there's no rule about bread and gravy. There are several rules. And there are no rules about a lot of things in life. There are several rules. Think about First Timothy. And I want you if, you, if you've got your Bible, if you're watching on your phone, you, you can't look this up at the same time unless you've got skills. Um... Because it is possible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through um, 15 have been used for generations to keep women silent in worship. Have a look at that. We're, take a look at the rules. All right? Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Got to stop. Do we consider that a commandment? For all times, all places. Do you hold your hands up, guys, when you pray? I know we didn't in our church because we felt that was a slippery slope to Pentecostalism. I'm not exactly sure of the machination, but evidently there's a, there's a mechanism, but there's a certain way. Holy hands without anger. Have you ever been in a church fight? Or disputing? Paul seems to talk a lot about stop arguing. And yet I find so many people arguing about what Paul wrote. And I'm going, the irony is strong in this one. Oh, Then it goes, also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Are women allowed to wear jewelry? You know, some churches grab this and say they're not. They're not allowed to cut their hair or do anything with it except for the approved bun or thing. And I'm not trying to be fun. I, just, I don't know the name. I do know that we are, we are very good friends in Ohio with a family that were church planters for that church, that denomination. And they left it finally and came over to worship with us. And Tom one time said quietly, I always wondered when we'd see a nice-looking couple come in to check out our church, how long it would take us to make them ugly. But they'd grabbed onto that verse. Not verse 8. But they grabbed on to verse 9. But women are to clothe themselves with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. I think we're all good with verse 10. Everybody good with verse 10? Okay, great. That this will not continue. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Are you aware that whenever it talks up uh, in the very first part of this chapter, it talks to men and for our prayers. And it uses the same word that it uses here for quietness. That men are to pray in quietness and submission. That men are to pray for kings in quietness and submission. But leaving that, he goes, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And the word quiet there is not a volume word. It's an attitude word. In other words, it doesn't say she can't be heard. Because in most churches, women are allowed to sing. I've noticed. And... Singing teaches us. I've been, many, I've been in many worship services. Maybe you in this one can say the same. Where I learned more and benefited more by the theology I heard sung than I, the theology I heard preached. I don't think that that... If you come up to me later and say, the song's meant a lot more to me than the sermon, that doesn't offend me. Because I get that. My own son, who is a, one of my top best friends ever, I can remember, he said he, he, he liked Wednesday nights. And I said, why is that? And he says, because we sing more. And he says, I, I come for the songs. Now, I've barely ever heard my son sing. I think he has a good voice. But he's like many of you. You know, he wants to keep that a secret. Because I've heard some of you sing real well. And I'll say, come on up here. Nope, noop, 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 noop. So, um, but it is, hey, by the way, Lee Fisk, um, our, our dear, dear sister Stephanie Summerlot, I mean, all of you that, um, and Marat here, thank you for sending in songs and readings and such. It's just so cool. It really is. Look up there and say, that's not off the web. Those are our people. These, and they are, they are rejoicing in their way, and it's great. Anyway, let's move on. Um, how about this one? For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived who became a sinner now that seems very very offensive until you read romans where he says now adam sinned and through adam all have sinned and since adam sinned and put sin into the world one through one man adam came sin one man christ comes salvation in other words he used different illustrations for different stories because he was a human how about this one but women will be saved through childbearing Is that a same passage that talks about the quiet bets? Or are we talking about a particular culture, a particular time, with a particular belief about what was right and wrong? Do you believe that women have to bear children to go to heaven? That's what the verse says. And even then it says they may not make it. they got to continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Why do we grab one verse there and not the others? Because it, I think, it, because it suits us, frankly. Instead of looking at this and say, "What is the context? Where was Timothy at this time? What was going on at this time?" If you try to grab it, it's like using a law made in the 1700s for here. Instead, look at the context, and look at the gestalt, the whole of Scripture. What do you do when you read? Because uh, they got them right next to each other in our Bibles. First and, uh, first and you got Samuel. You got First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and the stories change dramatically. In the Book of Chronicles, it's all good. David never sinned. Transition from David to Solomon smooth as silk. No mention of all the others. Manasseh, bad king, yeah, but he came around and wrote a good song at the end. Chronicles is always upbeat. Now, listen to this, because this is really important. In the Jewish scriptures, the last book of the Old Testament, they have all the books we have, but they arrange them differently. The last book in the Old Testament is Chronicles, because it ends on an upsweet of here's the good news. It would be like writing American history to a bunch of Americans who have been imprisoned in. Uh, I don't want to name a country. They have people in all kinds of countries. Um, blob of ill, And they've been there for so long, they've forgotten who they are. And so you write a book about the great things we have done, the great people we are to encourage the people. So you're not going to bring up the Depression. You're probably not going to bring up slavery. You're, pro- you're not going to bring up injustice in prisons. You're going to be talking about the good stuff to get them ready. And guess what? That's why it was there. They wrote it to help them leave Babylon and know who they were when they returned. But they had access to all the other stories. But it wasn't time for those stories. It was time for the upbeat. Once you begin to realize some of this, it it can shake you. But can I just show you one? This is simple. You don't have to know anything about manuscripts or language. Um, Well, language might help, but English will do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I was always told that every word was dictated to, to God and all these men were just secretaries. Well, that falls apart really fast with a, even a, an easy little reading like, like this. 1 um, Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I, I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. That doesn't sound like God's dictating that. It sounds like God told Paul to help out Corinth, saying, oh yeah, now I remember. And he puts things in. I love that. I want humanity in here. I don't want it to be a distant thing. I hear you. When the dominoes begin to fall as... I found parts of scripture didn't really match with the others. It hurt. That history didn't always match the genocides. I'll give you something that will comfort you and upset you. Every genocide ordered in scripture was horrible. But there's no evidence that it ever happened. And there are many evidences that the, the, the opposite. For example, in Joshua, all those tribes he defeated and wiped off the, the face of the earth. Every single one of them shows up in the next book in in Judges. So it's war talk. It's rewriting history. It's a story. It's an argument about God. And Jesus settles the argument. We can't read Numbers 25 where it says, God said it's a great thing these two people are going to to church, but we don't like them. So Phineas grabs a spear and spears them both through. And we all rejoice because God was happy. What? And then after you've done Numbers 25, you hit Numbers 31. Are you ready for this? God says, go into there. They say, God says, go into there and kill every man and every boy and every child that's older than this and all the women if they've had sex with a guy, married, whatever. And then the virgins, you can, uh, sort, you can hand them out to your people. Can you imagine Jesus Christ saying anything like that? I dare you. I dare you to tell me that Jesus Christ could do that. So we need to understand God's patience with all of us because throughout all of time, we've gotten it wrong. And yet he is patient. What if we read the Bible as a story of God gently approaching his creation? Moving us about with the same wisdom he showed and carving canyons and emptying inland seas and raising up the Rockies. Bringing his spirit to hover over us when we were ready. This Bible is not just a human book. There are plenty of evidences of divine intervention in this book that show God had a hand in this book. Scientific foreknowledge. There's a ton of there laws that show humanity and fairness to humans but also to animals. You weren't allowed to mistreat animals. This, by the way, is still true in Jewish culture and in Muslim culture. Animals have to be killed a certain way, and it's humane. They have to be, they have to be, they have to live a certain way. Uh, An Orthodox Jew will not eat something which was crammed into a cage, fattened up, and then taken out and killed. It had to have a life. It had to have freedom. There, you, you see advanced ideas like this. And yes, there's some Bronze Age and Iron Age horror in here as well. But there is a, sem- a central theme. God wants to approach us. And will do so when he fulfills his promise in Jesus. The promised Messiah. And then when Christ is here, he tells us to love God and love each other. That's it. That's the job. He said, that fulfills all the law and the prophets. Love God and love each other. Note that nowhere in scripture does God ever indicate that he is done inspiring. And that's a live question, by the way. I've asked people all my life, by whose authority was the canon sealed? And there's not a person on the planet that can give you an answer that you like. They'll say, well, general use. Okay. So God didn't come down and say. Well then they had a council. Had a couple of councils. Great. I, and much respect to the councils. They figured out a lot of stuff. But let's not say God's done inspiring. Have you ever been inspired by a piece of music? Yeah. My wife and I were blessed to be given uh, free access last night. Because of my wife's work with a charity that, that fights cancer. It's run by Scott Hamilton. Um, she's, it's not, that's not her job. But when the events come around, they do ask her to help. And she's been doing that for years. <clears throat> the, um, her full-time job is keeping me out of prison. But that, she does that. Um, there, there was a private concert to raise a bunch of money. And they didn't invite us because they thought they'd get a penny out of us. They just invited us because we're friends. So we listened to Mercy Me. They were there. Very friendly people. I didn't get too close because one of them had a sinus infection. And I figured, you know, I love you from here. Um, it's good. But they did a great job. Have you ever listened to one of their songs and gotten a chill? You ever sung an old hymn and got a chill? How about Fanny S. Crosby? You think she was inspired? Can You think anybody could write that many hymns and not be inspired? Uh, there are so many others I want to start naming here but the point is I my faith in Christ was at a crisis point because I read the Bible and it was C.S. Lewis's book Mere Christianity and Max Lucato's books God Came Near and no wonder they call him the Savior that drove me back to the Bible and read it and I read it now with joy because I see the story and I don't have to explain away all the awful parts in fact, what does God do instead of saying inspiration has stopped? That wonderful story of the transfiguration, we need to talk about it every day. where he brings up his buddies, he had best buddies, you're allowed to have best buddies. As he's praying, heaven opens and there's Moses and Elijah and the apostles freak out in the best possible way. Because this is their whole Marvel Comics universe right here. Every, every hero that they've ever had has just shown up. And they're, they're trying to elevate Christ by saying, we put you on that same plane. We want to put up altars to Moses, Elijah, and you because you're this important and God stops the party. Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophets. And God goes, this is my son. You listen to him. The Bible can argue about God, but Jesus settles that argument. And that, my friends, is some of the best news you're ever going to hear. Because Jesus loves you. And Jesus said many times, in many ways, he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. I believe Jesus will be a success at whatever he wants to do. Therefore, I believe we are saved. I think one of our problems, and I want this, I'm not going to be much longer here, because my, uh, my time is fading that's the time of it already you're expected to be at lunch are you i think one of our problems is that we still treat the bible as a book instead of books in a book so when we read a book let me do this right and take the time precision's important all right can you see this on the camera this part if not i'll hold it like that this is the old testament that's a lot now, in a novel, if we know there's that much coming, we're fine. Because we know we're building up to the big thing. The climax. You um, In a book, you set your theme. You introduce your characters. Then you introduce con- uh, conflict, a task, peril. And you got to have all those things. I've read books before where the guy is invincible. Always has the right equipment. Everything always happens right. He gets knocked down and the guy's going to, you know, shoot him, or wrestle with him, and he reaches out his hands, and there's a crowbar, like there are random crowbars. What universe has random crowbars distributed in case a hero needs? Him? And I, I don't even finish the book, I need peril. I don't need Superman, I need every man. Then what do you do? You work your way up to the climax, boom, there's the climax, everything is resolved, and there might be a few pages after, that's called a denouement. There might be a few pages after just to kind of wrap up the loose ends but in our bibles the way we've arranged them god did not arrange the books let's go matthew mark luke and john those are there we go that's the climax and then we have just as much after and by the way I know that the letters seem a lot longer than the Gospels, but they're not. Gospels are really half the words. It's kind of fun when you realize that. And then what happens is we forget about this part. And we get all wrapped around the axle in this part, even though Paul and the writers say, don't argue, don't argue, don't argue. And we lose the thrill. I've read a couple of authors that didn't know how to end their book. And they kept going. When we're really done now? It was a great story. Stop. I think we need to read the extra material as extra material. As appendix material. As important material. Showing how people applied the fact of Jesus to their lives. They struggled to apply the reality of Christ to every situation they faced. Individually and collectively. And if we read it that way, we can read the Bible as a fascinating guide to life, God, our history together, where we got it wrong, where we got it right, without any more cringing, without explaining away horror, because human beings are capable of horror and claiming they aren't told to do it. And we can do it without grabbing one text, to use it to fight against another text. I I never understood that. You know, I'd read a passage and somebody go, well, look over here. And I'm going, really? what, what are you saying that one's going to do to this one? You know, are they are going to flex their muscles and do and get out here? It's an entire story. And I think that then we read it with Jesus in mind. And this no longer disappoints us. Because we're no longer misusing it. I have a wonderful final story, illustration. I really do. You never heard me say that anything I do is wonderful. You'll understand this in a bit. This one's fantastic. I've used it many times. It is, well, you just can't do better. Problem is, it's inaccurate. I was a very happy man until a month or two ago. I went to um, went to Cookville. There I went to visit with a, and I know you already checked in. I saw your names. Uh, to meet with a bunch of men who have been listening for two years. Some of whom... Cannot let others know they're listening, or jobs would be lost. Friendships ended. Switching over to this one. So here's my illustration, my beautiful illustration. I love dogs. I really do. I think dogs are a gift from God, seriously, to this planet. And yet, dogs have a particular mental quirk, Uh, they are not non concrete thinkers. So, you can't point things out to them. You can't say, The burglar's over there. They have to see the burglar to react. You can't say, You can throw a ball and I'll lose it. And have you heard people say, It's over there? Like dogs are going, Oh, you mean to the right. The Bible, and by the way, I've used that illustration forever. And at Cookville, they said, Oh, by the way, if you ever hunt with pointer dogs, you can. I said, Seriously? You've just destroyed one of the most beautiful illustrations. On a planet. I drove to Cookville for this. Is that what? It, we love you, David. We love you guys. Well, besides pointers, I use that illustration to illustrate this. We, um, we have a finger pointing to God. Our Bible is not God. It takes us to God. And he tells us what he requires of us. And you don't even bring it up. Malachi, he'll bring it up. And Micah, he'll bring it up all over. What do I require from you? And it's always treat people with love, kindness, and share what you've got. How can we miss that message unless somebody taught us to miss it? We have much more. Much more to talk about. But I couldn't think of another song that was more appropriate than this one. Now, I don't have a sinus infection like Bart. Uh, Millard did last night, but my voice is always weak and it gets weaker. As I get older, it's going to get weaker. So team, we have you mic We actually don't have a mic. We're just going to, you know, he's going to turn up a, the house mic. Please sing along and make this prettier than it would otherwise be. All right. You know the song. I sing this whenever I get confused by scripture. And sometimes I start as of scripture warns, wrestling with scripture to your own destruction. I remember I need to reset. Come back to Jesus.